This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning, it's Monday, and that means it's time for Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with my skillet buddy, Carol Puckett. Hey, Carol. Hey, Mal. How you doing, man? I'm well. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful day. It's it very is. fallish out it there. It is. Um, you know, Java and I had a meeting this week. Oh, no. We voted. Oh, boy. It's You are going to be named a living legend of Deep South Dining. Living legend. Yes, you are, because so many people are giving you awards. Java and I wanted to give you an award as well, right, Java? Yeah, that's what I was about to say, because the Deep South Diner Award is in the back, and these other awards are have been a long time coming. Yeah, wow. and and our award we voted it was there was it was a unanimous decision to give you the Deep South Dining Award. Oh, I'm so but honored. You were you were so honored. You were named to the Hall of Fame at Northeast Mississippi Community College. How about that? The Alumni Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's great. I was very honored. Of course, that's the institution where I got my my uh, two year AA degree uh, up at Northeast, and played some football while I was there too. In what position was that? Well, I was a defensive uh, linebacker and a defensive end, and I was a place kicker. Aha! Uh-huh. So you were a meathead. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I suppose. Started started early. I suppose. And then, lo and behold, I find out that you are being honored this Wednesday night at EcoShed. Really cool. Really cool. Really cool. As a Jackson icon. And you and your brother Hal, who is sadly no longer with us. I don't even know if this is a real word, but he's been muralized. <laughs> muralized. He's been muralized at EcoShed. Yes, dear listeners, Malcolm is being muralized. They are doing a mural of Malcolm and his brother Hal, a wonderful art installation. The art looks fabulous. Well, thank you so much. And he and Hal will be taken around the city, it says, to strategic locations. Maybe they can bring it out here to MPB Think Radio. Yeah, we should we should put we some can park it right out <clears throat> right out there so y'all have to look at my mug. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, just kidding. And 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 well, will you be accepting the award for Hal? Will Hal's family be there? Yeah, some of both. Yeah, there will be some of Hal's family's coming, thankfully. And then uh, yes, I will be accepting for the two of us. We're very honored. There's a larger class. I haven't seen the list yet, but I was told Dorothy Moore is on it, so that's pretty exciting. You're in very good company. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Malcolm is, has always been associated with a certain type of cool here yeah. in, in, in Jackson and the larger state. Oh, yeah. You know. Well, I'm glad we could present him with our award. Deep South Dining as, Award. As well. Well, that's the greatest honor of all. That's exactly right. Well, Carol, what's cooking? Uh, what's going on in your kitchen? We got a lot going on. We've got we got to talk about Thanksgiving. We've got Ann Byrne coming up. We've had lots of uh, questions and comments on our cooking and coping. We got a rock and roll here. What's, yeah, we what do. You been cooking? We do. Um, I'll say that I have not been cooking this much this week, unlike you. However, I did print out your recipe for turnip or mustard greens because you posted 
this. Uh, tell us about the gift you received and well, your recipe. Yeah, well, first of all, it's David Patterson's recipe, and I'm just sharing it. Uh, and David Patterson also grew uh, the turnip greens, the mustards, the kale, um, and uh, the eggplant, which I prepared yesterday. So I just thought I would share a photo of, of a couple of dishes that came from, from that run, that uh, fall vegetable run. And David was nice enough to share his recipe, which I used. And I cooked up a large mess of, of greens um, and roots using that recipe. It's really easy, and it was really good. It looks like apple cider vinegar is a key ingredient. Correct. And, and he uses, uh, you, you can use ham, or I think he uses tasso. tasso he uses tasso. I didn't have any of that, so I used ham. But man, it was good. And the vinegar seems to, as you say, be the real key ingredient there. You know, we were talking about greens right before the show, and uh, tell the listeners what you were telling me about sharing greens. Well, I said I didn't bring the turnip greens up here to share because they're not the kind of dish that is generally. Uh, shareable a cake yes a pie cookies of course like kevin's cookies that he bakes every week and puts out here very shareable a big old pot of wet sloppy turnip greens and turnip roots uh, tough to share well for some people it's a way to say i love you other people just go "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) not so much (laughs) but other things Cooking at my house, uh, Kara made a wonderful uh, shrimp and wild rice casserole last night that had curry and mayonnaise and lean parins, and it was really good. And she said it was a recipe from uh, the Norris side of her family. You know, last week we talked about her Armenian side, and so she cooked this dish uh, last night, which is from her father's family side, which are the northern neck of Virginia the Tidewater Chesapeake folks, and this was a really good dish. Well, I'm so glad. And mentioning the Armenians, my heart was totally warmed last week when we talked about uh, Armenian cooking to hear not only from a few of her family members, but others in the community of listeners of Deep South Dining and Cooking and Coping that were very touched by that and you know, uh, one one reader, uh, one listener talked about Armenian food in Los Angeles. It's, yeah, it's really yeah, a, a scene there. But, you know, you never know what's going to hit people. Correct. Uh, my father-in-law told me yesterday on the phone that, that they played the show for the parish council. Oh, And okay. that they were also <laughs> excited to hear us promote Armenian culture, Armenian food, and particularly the Armenian Food Fest coming up in September. Excellent. Well, we had a lot of traffic this week about Thanksgiving. Yes, we did. And one was uh, about chicken stock. Righto. The questioner was asking about the difference between broth and stock. Do I have that right? Yes, you did. Okay. And you and I were looking at each other, and I said... Aren't they the same? But you, of course, being our research and development Well, person. broth is thinner than chicken stock, and it's not cooked as, as long on the stove. And it, it's all, I mean, it's a, you know, weaker concoction. So 
you want to use broth where you want the rest of the food to, to really shine. I mean, broth, use broth instead of water when you're cooking rice. Right. Um, or turnip greens. When you're cooking. Uh, or cooking, eggplant. Yeah, turnip greens are light soup. But, you know, I'm a stock person myself. Mm. You know, with the stock, when you're making a stock, you use more bones and you cook it down longer. Right. You know, four or six hours. I've been it's, it's even more known. Robust. It's it more is hearty. robust. And I mean that flavor is just packed in. But our listener was saying asking if you don't want to stay home and make stock, what do you do? And of course you head to your grocery store and you know, nowadays we have some really great stock products. It, it used to be it was just, you know, like a salt lick. Mm-hmm. But now no, you no. go to the stock section, and there are many varieties. There's broth. There's light stock. There is unsalted um, stock, which I use a lot when I'm, you know, when I'm using the old carton because I like to add the salt and add the flavor and control it. Of course you want to control it. But I never throw away a turkey bone or a chicken bone. Never. <laughs> never. Because I'm no. going to put it in the stock pot. Absolutely. has to be reused. We also had uh, a listener, um, or I'm not sure if it was a cooking and coping uh, person or a listener that asked about oyster dressing. Oh, so much to talk about there. Boy, that's a whole show. It is a show, but I went back and found a quote I had pulled last year from one of our favorite listeners and cooking and coping members, Tim Pierce. Oh, Tim. And he pulled it. It was in the middle of a conversation about dressing on, on cooking and coping. And he says, I am late to the conversation, but I want you to have this for future reference, which is now. Yes. In my opinion, stuffing is feathers or polyfill. It is appropriate for vests, comforters, pillows, and plush toys. <laughs> Dressing is appropriate for the Thanksgiving table. And he said, I won't even get into the topic of ambrosia because that will make my blood pressure come up. Yeah. And he said, you call me if you need chicken and dressing for Thanksgiving. <laughs> FedEx picks up here every day. Well, you so remember, thank you, Tim Beers. You remember we had that conversation. I think it was the week you were out about chicken and dressing. Do you remember that, John? I do remember that. About cheering, yes. And and we talked about, is it a main dish? Is it a side? Who puts the chicken in their dressing? And I had had it at an event. Yeah. And we talked about it. And then, lo and behold, Tim pops up with, with this and then this whole conversation about stuffing versus dressing. Well, his mama's dressing has become the official dressing of cooking and coping because – so many comments. He posted it. Uh, you know, lots of people said that was what their mom did. So that's kind of our official recipe. But he also was the one that chided us for not giving enough time to the topic of oyster dressing. So yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I make it, and I love it, and I'm the go-to person in our family who makes the oyster dressing, and I love it. And I first made it uh, uh, because of Richard and Ruma Collins' book, the New Orleans cookbook where I first saw a real recipe for, for oyster dressing. And uh, I really love to make the stuff. And, and you know, I, I would say to someone who says, I don't have any idea how to make that, just make your dressing and add oysters and oyster liquor. 
to it and bake it. And you don't have to go beyond that. That keeps it pretty simple. So if you make dressing or if you make stuffing, sorry, Tim, just add oysters before you bake stuffing. it. Stuffing. <laughs> stuffing, it's very Midwestern. Okay, um, Carol, it's only uh, a short while before Thanksgiving, and, and I know you, you've been preparing us for the inevitable. Uh, well, I so, have. So where are we? Indeed. Where are we on, <laughs> on, on being ready? Well, I'm hoping that you have made room in your freezer and refrigerator. We got a new, uh, new refrigerator last week, and, and Carol went through everything and made some hard decisions about what to keep and what to say goodbye to. And in that process, we made room. You're ready, as I am not. Okay, so we've done that. I suggest that everyone prepare your cooking schedule this week and start locating your serving dishes. Where do you think they might be? Well, they're all over, but you have you don't want to get up that morning. I mean, they can be stashed anywhere in the house. I mean, I have a tray under my couch. Or, under, under or, couch. or at a friend's house. Yeah, or at a friend's house. <laughs> a friend's house with your name on masking tape on the bottom. But about about the serving dishes, you Round do not want up to, the serving dishes. You do not want to be scrounging on Thanksgiving Eve or Thanksgiving morning. No. You don't want to be running to Walmart late night, Wednesday night. The but, Walmart. But my best tip is to, you know, find your dishes, try to do some variety, try to have some oval, some square, some round, and go ahead and take post-it notes, put in the bottom of the dish for what that dish is. Mm-hmm. Good, good advice. Clean, get the, so this week it's get the freezer ready, clean the refrigerator, Get your list together, and by all means, start locating your dishes and yes. your serving. And if there is any wear. gear you need to buy, buy it now. Okay. Do not go into a gourmet store, hardware store, or a big box store looking for a meat thermometer or a cooking thermometer on Wednesday afternoon too before late. things. It was too late. And, and you can't use the one in the medical because cabinet. Because they're going to be yeah, – they're, they're going to be – they are just going to be – and when you're planting your turkey, two pounds per adult and one pound for children. Okay. Any other tips for, for prepping for Thanksgiving before we scurry just along here? go ahead and shop for your non-perishables now. I'm talking today and tomorrow. So what you a, don't have, like, two giant shopping carts. What about these container, these backed-up containers of frozen turkeys in Los Angeles and in and, and, uh, San Diego? How are I'm, we going to get those to I, the store? I don't, I don't know. But and if get them we in don't, our homes. If we don't get the turkeys to the store, thankfully there are many other proteins that we can use. We can have Thanksgiving roast. We can have Thanksgiving crown of lamb. Mm-hmm. Some people like a goose. So maybe the geese aren't. <laughs> I know the Look turkey out. is traditional, but sometimes you have to think outside the box or outside the shipping container. So we could lose a lot of Canadian geese in these ponds <laughs> around. <laughs> there, could, there could be, yeah, there, there could be some loss. Uh-huh. 
I can see it now. I I do have a controversial, two controversial topics to bring up. Well, go right ahead. Let's just get to the tough stuff. Is that okay, Java? Yeah, we do have our guest, Ann. She's she's, she's joined us. But we're we're going to get to her in one one moment. Yeah, she may want to jump in. And we may just forego the break and just power through. There's no problem with me. Yeah. Okay, Malcolm. To baste or not to baste? Oh, boy. Huge. I'm basting. Okay. Yeah. And you? Um, I'm I'm basting, but, um, you know, there's one school of thought I had no idea that that says that um, basting dries it out. Hmm. Well, who knew? It says, you know, I know your mother always basted her turkey. So did her mother and her mother before that. And this says it's an unnecessary waste of time and energy and it could slow down the cooking process or burn your knuckles on the oven door. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and this was in Southern Living, so you know mm. I feel like it's a pretty credible source. They're based in Birmingham, so I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm so, just not sure. Okay, and <laughs> I can hear Ann laughing on the. Uh, okay, Ann, jump in. But to baste or not to baste. I don't baste because I just am too lazy to baste, I guess. I, I think it, it brings, it, 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 you know, you're opening the oven up and then you're lowering the temperature of the oven, which Good is point. prolonging the cooking process. The only plus I see to basting is that it, it allows the perfume of that roasting turkey to kind of come into the kitchen and really mm. sort of make your house smell wonderful. Mm. That it, that's a, that's a just great point. Really great, and it it, it does what she said. It, every time you open the oven door, which for obsessive basters is often, <laughs> you let heat escape, and also you're keeping the top from crisping. You don't I mean, want it's that. Yeah. it's moist. Okay, well I'll get to that, the. That's the first controversial topic okay. of the last segment of the uh, first first. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, we'll I, I, I've got to bring it up. I've got to bring one more up, John, um, Java. It's, Go ahead. And it's to brine or not to brine. To brine or not to brine. F- what, from what I find out, it was all fashion. It was all a trend. And all the chefs and the food writers who promoted it are now apologizing. I mean, Kim oh. Severson of the New York Times said, on behalf of food writers everywhere, I apologize. <laughs> And, well. she, and she goes to say, she said, just like the length of a trouser leg, turkey fashion shifts. Well, of course it does, whether to cuff or not cuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it, well, it, it, it makes the texture of the meat, they're now saying it makes it a little bit mushy. I would say the one exception would be if you brine in pumpkin spice. <laughs> Now we're going oh, too oh, far. <laughs> and and Anne doesn't know the background on that. We're anti-pumpkin spice spam. Well, except for when coffee. I'm away. Oh, gotcha. And when I'm away, they're pro-pumpkin spice. When I'm here, they're anti. Yeah. But um, but dry brining. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Dry brining is cool. That's that's kind of the thing now. Okay. So all that's right. the trend. Controversy. That's great. Great. So, I mean, let's just power through here and uh, welcome uh, Ann Byrne to the show. Ann uh, has a new cookbook out uh, entitled A New Take on Cake. She is a best-selling author. I think 
you've sold over 3.5 million of these rascals. So congratulations yeah, on that. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of books, as they say. But, it's a lot, but I've been doing it a while, so it's right. been amortized over a number of years. That's gotcha. right. Well, well, you look so very young uh, here on. Uh, <laughs> Whatever we're on Skype or, or whatever, and the picture know. in your book, you must have been doing it since you were a very small child. Exactly. Well, you're very kind. There's something called hair color. That's yes. right. <laughs> and then there's so Anne is based in Nashville, but she was yes. the uh, food editor of the Atlanta uh, Constitution, the Atlanta Journal for, Constitution, for a long time. Long time, fifteen years. Fifteen years. That that's fifteen good. years. Yeah. Then we moved back to Nashville, where Excellent. we live now, and uh, yeah, and I, I think what kind of you know I wrote about food in in Atlanta. I wrote about sort of the restaurant scene. I wrote about, gosh, when Hartsville Airport opened, I was there. I, it, you know, I, and then to move back to Nashville was was bittersweet. I didn't plan on it. Uh, my husband was transferred here, but it was wonderful. I reconnected with family. And that's when I really kind of realized the more of the down-home side of cooking and baking that still was in the South. And and really just have really enjoyed that. And I wrote The Cake Fix Doctor in about 2000 because it was all about my mother and her friends who would take a box of cake mix and doctor it up with, you know, ingredients from their kitchen and serve it at bridge parties and, and potlucks. And that was a book I could have never written in Atlanta, but it worked and it was the way we lived in Nashville. And this new book is sort of a revisit to the cake mix doctor on how people bake today. It is a gorgeous book. I mean, the, oh, thank you. yeah, I mean, it is, it is just lovely inside and out thank the you. cake pictures, but it's, you know, the pale blue cover with with the white and i mean to all those cookbook lovers this one will look good sitting out in your kitchen <laughs> well hopefully it'll be used it, you hopefully know, I, it will be i i wanted this book there's a photo for every recipe you know i've been doing this long enough to know that people like a picture for every recipe and that was important and the other thing though it's a paper it's a nice paperback and i wanted this book to be affordable for everybody because that, those are the people who have always loved the cake mix, Doctor. You know, it's not, it's not a highbrow concept, you know, but it is a way of baking that might seem like cheating to some, but it's out there. And people who are busy, you know, start with a mix. Or if you don't know how to bake a cake, it's a great way to start. What you have convinced me, but what what you were saying about your mom and grandmom, that was mm-hmm. exactly how it was in my family. My grandmother always had Duncan Hines cake mix, and they were always making these things like tunnel of fudge cake, right. and you know all these different ones that that were promoted at the time. And I never picked up on that. And yesterday afternoon, I was headed to the grocery store to get a white cake mix. I mean, th- this is Did you make the phenomenal. Cake? No, but I'm going to today. Oh, okay, <clears throat> you're going. Which That's recipe awesome. are you going to use in here? Have you decided? Well, I was I was going by what you know what she said about um, taking a white cake mix and you can actually add more flavor to it. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the pink mm-hmm. champagne. That looks good. That's a great cake. It's pretty. It's such a beautiful color. 
um, sort of pale melon colored. And if the pink champagne that you use has a lot of color to it, you don't need to add any food coloring to it. But if it's a real pale pink champagne, you could add just a little smidge of like a pink food paste or color to really make it pinker. Hmm. Fun. Well, your first book obviously took off like a rocket. Uh, but for some mm-hmm. reason, you waited 20 years to revisit this uh, topic of turning a mix into a masterpiece. But, And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that time period. Uh, maybe you were too busy for another cake book. But then you get into t- talking about what has changed in those 20 years and how you can use ingredients mm-hmm. now that you never knew about or weren't available back in the old days in the old days, mm-hmm. like caramel and tahini and coconut milk and Meyer lemons and a bunch of other stuff. So talk a little bit about that. Right. Well, you know, after I wrote The Cake Mix Doctor, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, my, my publisher was thrilled, and they wanted me to keep writing, cranking out a book as fast as I could do it. But I had three young children. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, my mother was not well at the time, and she was living with us, and it was hard. Um, And I did what I could do, and I wrote some follow-up books. But now, 20 years later, my kids are grown. I'm in a completely different place. And I think more than that, I have been baking and raising a family for 20 years, and I know what tastes good. I know what works. I'm not going to, you know, beat around the bush about it. And, And I was really ready to write this book honestly, and help people again. And I have learned so much from readers through the years. I've never gotten down to Mississippi on book tour. I once was in Oxford, and I apologize, but I'm coming this week. Yes, and, you are. Uh, and, and I know great, great cooks and bakers come out of Mississippi, and a lot of them are my friends. And I really was so excited to write this book just to say, hey, you can still do this. This is the kind of chocolate to buy. Hey, use coconut milk, not whole milk. Give you some great tips but really make this book feel like everybody is welcome. Uh, when, I, when I went on book tour with the Cake Mix Doctor 20 years ago, I was a lot younger, and I, it was tough. I, I went across country. I was interviewed by newspapers, you know, and the food writers were not real happy that I was writing a book about cake mixes. Not Let me that. just tell you that. <laughs> and they were not only really imagine. nice to me. Not nice to me. And I, you know, and I, hey, I was just, I was just writing about my busy life. Um, And now I've realized that so many more people use a cake mix, rely on a cake mix because they're affordable. They're easy. They didn't have a mother or grandmother show them how to bake a cake. And, and the, and now that you can make a vegan cake Mm -hmm. that starts with a cake mix because you don't need the eggs. So that is to me. What makes this book so interesting is that 20 years later, look where we are. Oh, yeah. Well, talk to us a little bit about choosing a cake mix. I found that fascinating. I try to keep it really simple. You know, so when you go and look for a cake mix on the shelf, try to get the simplest cake mix there. White, butter, yellow, chocolate. That's it. You know, they used to, I found that, you know, there used to be spice cake mixes. There used to be all these different things. Well, they became hard to find. So if I created a recipe for a spice cake mix, somebody in Des Moines or Phoenix, whatever, they couldn't find one. So I stopped doing that. You know, if you want to make a spice cake mix, start with a butter recipe mix and add a teaspoon of cinnamon, 
half teaspoon of nutmeg, a little clove, a little ginger. You have a spice cake mix. And so that's when I just said, we got to keep this simple because if I write recipes for everybody, everybody's got to be able to find the mix. And I, and I think there is some difference between Betty Crocker, Duncan Himes, and Pillsbury. I think Pillsbury uses more food coloring in their yellow cake mix, and I don't like it. Hmm. And, and I say that in the book, you know. I mean, the whole purpose of this book is to create something so beautiful that nobody would ever believe it came out of a box. So why would you want it to look like a box? Good, Good point. point. <laughs> 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 Learning so much here. One of your friends... Uh, said that that your your cake the cake mix doctor book was a feminist cookbook how do you feel about that yeah liberating i think think that is awesome and i because it it lets them get in and get out and Mm. i and i have some good friends who are fabulous entertainers they love people but you know they prioritize and if they're going to put a lot of time into the main course or you know, maybe make a new appetizer or something. They're not going to spend a lot of time in dessert. And if it can be made ahead, um, all the better. So my good friend Betty, you know, she has no problem using the chocolate cake mix, but she'll make a scratch caramel icing and pour it over the top of it and put on some toasted pecans. And who's to know? Um, Yeah, so I think think it's great that you can, uh, that people can use this book uh, to as sort of it's liberating yes talk to us about freezing cakes you know a lot of people mm-hmm. are in their kitchen this week and that's something that's of great interest love to freeze cakes that's how all those beautiful photographs happened in this book <laughs> wow. we baked ahead and froze them in my chest freezer um try to freeze them unfrosted you know layers bonds everything unfrosted I usually I like to do two layers. I'll maybe wrap it first in parchment or plastic wrap and then in foil or heavy duty foil. Um, If it's small enough that it can go into like a Ziploc bag, then you could wrap it in foil and then slide it into a Ziploc. That works really well for layers. But freeze them and 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 they will keep, you know, three, four months in the freezer. I mean, baked goods should last six months, depending on if it's a chest freezer that does not open a lot. Versus, you know, the refrigerator freezer, you know, in your kitchen that is opened a lot. Not the best place to freeze a cake. And then when you thaw the cake, unwrap the packaging to let the cake breathe. And that allows the moisture that has been frozen in the cake to escape. Hmm. And then your cake is thawed and you can freeze and you can frost it. Good tips. Good, good tips. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue talking with Ann Byrne, and we'll dive deeper into her latest cookbook, A New Take on Cake. And we'd love to hear from you if you have questions about using a box uh, to make a masterpiece, if you're curious about using a box mixes and which ones to use, and things like... Uh, Upsizers and pudding or not pudding in cakes. Upsizers. Yeah, upsizers. What did I say? No, I just yeah, love the idea. It's pretty exciting. All right, so give us a call, 1 877 672 7464, or we would happily see your emails if you'll just shoot us one at food at mpbonline.org. So, Ann and Carol and I will be right back after a short break. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts 
bring you in-depth interviews with different Creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett and our very special guest this morning calling us from Nashville, Tennessee, Ann Byrne. Welcome, Ann. Thank you. Great to be here. Absolutely. You have a brand new book called A New Take on Cake, and you're on your way to Mississippi. You're, you'll be at Lemuria this Thursday uh, signing books and in a conversation with Carol and I. And we are excited That's about that. So yeah, it, it is going to well, be fun. You. Five o'clock Thursday. Carol, right. Oh, I can't wait. I can't so, wait. That'd and then you're, then you're headed you. off to uh, Greenwood. To Turnrow. To Turnrow Books. Yes. Great bookstore. Never been. Viking Cooking School is there. It's, it, it'll be a wonderful experience. And that's uh, Friday at noon at Turnrow in, in Greenwood. So Thursday, 5 p.m. at Lemuria here in Jackson. And then on Friday, Turnrow at noon in the wood. Okay, we have uh, a, a listener who has sent us a message, and uh, I think Java's going to. Sure. Yeah, one of our um, regulars, Miss um, Amanda, uh, a great uh, contributor to Cooking and Coping, she said, uh, thank you for this guest on cake mix baking. I've often felt like a fraud for doctoring a mix and making something different with it. I love to use a cake mix for cookies. Well, she is not a fraud. She is uh, fabulous and creative. Creative is the word. I, I agree with you, Carol, there. I, I think uh, there's nothing wrong with it, you know. I always think that maybe people who don't give you the recipe, it's, there may be a reason for it. You know, they probably started with a mix. Right. That's, that's true. So, so there, it's okay some, to use a mix. You can come out of the closet. Look, if come any, out of the box. If I could make anything that looked like the 170-something pictures in this book, I mean, cake mix, I'm all for it. And I love the way that you use these postage stamp shots all together, like in a gallery. I haven't seen that done before, and I think it's brilliant. Thank you. That was in the first Cake Mix Doctor. So that was an important part of this book, was bringing back that grid of photos at the front of the book. Mm. I can't, you know, so many people have told me their child would would flip through the book with them and, and pick a picture point to a picture that they want to make and and uh it's a great way to kind of get excited about baking i I have a couple other technique questions because i'm thinking Mm -hmm. of all of our people home and home cooking this week uh talking about prepping the pan i learned Mm -hmm. i learned something really important when i was reading it it's don't use pam Mm, i hate Mm. pam Pam has propellants in it, which are alcohols, which raise the temperature of the sides of your pan. And when they go into the oven, that that makes the sides of your pans hotter. So if you're baking a a white cake and the sides of your pan are hotter, the sides are going to bake faster than the center. And that's when you flip out that layer and you've got brown edges all over your cake. Yeah. Horrors. 
Mm. Okay, well, tell yeah. us how to prep the pan, especially when you're using twirly, bunt-shaped pans. I, you know, I'm pretty old school. I like, I buy a small can of Crisco. And I learned this from being on television and going up to QVC countless times and being on with the ladies from Nordicware who make the bunt pans. And they would prep all of those bunt pans with Crisco and flour. And I watched them and they would get a little pastry brush and it was almost like they were painting. And they would paint the insides of those pans with Crisco because they knew if they did that that those cakes would pop out every single time. And that's the only way I will prep like a bunt or any of the decorative bunts that have a lot of ridges and grooves in them. Um, And it's great, and it's great to bring a child and and let them come into the kitchen with you and let them paint the pan, and then you toss flour around in it, and you're ready to go. And there's no drama because you know that cake is going to come out of the pan. Um, the only time I will use like a vegetable spray if I'm in a super hurry for like sheet cake pans or something that where the cake stays in the pan. But okay, if I but, want but you're saying vegetable spray, not something with propellants. Correct, correct. And you can buy those, or you can fill the canisters with your own vegetable oil. Yeah, mm, but just right. be careful with the pan. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah. another technique. Tip. Talk about cooling cakes, why we have a cake rack, and then frosting. Well, that, that you, well, you should cool them because ideally the cake and the frosting, if you're frosting a layer cake, the cake and the frosting should be somewhere around the same temperature. So think about that. If you've got a room temperature like buttercream frosting that you've made, you need a room temperature cake. Because that's not going to tear the cake. You don't want a cake that's too hot. You can fr- you can definitely frost a frozen cake, though. I will say that. Um, now, how do you cool a cake? There's a story I do share in the book about cooling a cake. When I was in Minnesota on book tour, I actually was in a hurry to get the cake layers cool because I had it started snowing and I did not want to be snowed in at Minneapolis Airport. So I took the cake layers outside and put them in the snow in the deck on the deck at this woman's house where they cool down. So if you're in a hurry, you can absolutely <laughs> pop those cakes in the pans in your freezer, in the snow, whatever you need to do to get those babies to cool down. <laughs> but get them to cool down before you frost them, yeah. Wow. Okay, what about a cake rack? Why do we use cake racks? Because it lets them breathe. You know, it lets the cake breathe uh, from the un- on the underside. So think about it. Most cake racks have little legs on them. So there's some airflow underneath. So you're cooling the cake not only on the upper side, but on the underside as well. I, you know, I think, honestly, it, I mean, it, it. I think it's kind of nice. I actually like I have some old cake racks. I like the look of cake racks. Mm-hmm. Um, and cake is easier to handle after it's been cooled. So cakes really tend to fall apart if they're not cool. You have to be really careful. Transferring layers, if, um, you know, if they're still a little bit warm, they're fragile. Especially cake mix cakes, I do find that they can be uh, more fragile to work with sometimes than, um, than, say, a heavy scratch cake, like a pound cake, definitely. So how long does a cake need to stay in the pan 
before you unmold it? Oh, you know, it, um, I give those the, the the specifics in the book, but you know, probably five to ten minutes on a layer, um, five minutes on a layer. Really, go around the outside of it with a with a butter knife or a little spatula knife, and then what I do is give it a good shake, and I like to kind of shake it around the pan to see if it's going to come out, and then I will t- put the put the rack on top of the pan and invert that cake onto the rack and then once the cake is out i will invert it back onto another rack so the cake cool layer cools right side up um, buns you need to keep in the pan you know 25 20 25 minutes 30 minutes again same thing go around the edges of the bun with a little soft knife and see if you can kind of give it a shake to see if it's going to loosen and then you can invert it what about the sticking the clean knife into the body of the cake to see if it's if, if it's ready? <laughs> that would work. Stabbing that it. That works. Yes. Stabbing. How do we tell when our cake is done? <laughs> I love it. I mean, everybody's got their own, you know, method of doneness. Um, I think that would probably work better for a bunt or something sturdy mm-hmm. because, you know, that's kind of always the question is, are these big cakes ready? I mean, how did our mothers ever figure out if a fruitcake was done, really, honestly? <laughs> I mean, how can you tell? I actually got a really cool device in, for people who are out there who are really seriously into cooking turkeys, cakes, whatever. It's called a thermopen. So put it on your Christmas list, maybe. It is a digital thermometer that is very slender, and a lot of chefs use them, and they kind of fold up. But you can stick that into a bread or a cake, and they need to hit 200 degrees. So if you are in question about an old, a big old fruitcake recipe that you've had or a pound cake, and you just can't figure out if it's done, you can stick the thermopan in there. And if it's 200, it's done. Hmm. Talk to us about upsizers. Upsizers. People started making those. Uh, upsizer is like a mixture of flour and maybe some leavening. And when the cake mix companies about 10 years ago reduced the size of cake mixes so they were about 18 and a quarter ounces and and they went down to you know 15 and 16 so considerable and uh, a lot of the cake mix doctor recipes um didn't work and that was another big reason i wrote this book too was to you know test all of the favorite recipes using smaller cake mixes but people came up with their own solution and uh, and it was to make a batch of flour and leavening and maybe a little bit of sugar and measure out, say, you know, a quarter cup of it, third a cup of it, and add it to their cake mixes. And I know wedding cake bakers have done this for years, you know. Um, they will, their formulas are, are oftentimes a mixture of a cake mix, a white cake mix, and their own custom upsizing which is kind of interesting. So they've got their own special formula for making that for making that cake taste homemade. So it's interesting. Yeah. But I, I don't have upsizer recipes in this book. Um, what I've done is just revisit a lot of the Cake Mix Doctor favorite recipes and, and kind of build that upsizer into the recipe itself. So some of these might call for a quarter cup of flour, or a half a package of pudding and things like that. Hey, Ann, this is uh, Java um, here, and I wanted to uh, first thank you for joining us, even though it is virtually. Uh, I got a two-part question with you. Um, 
I know you're going on your book tour, and we've talked to a lot of cookbook authors and chefs who have had to do a lot of things virtually because of the pandemic and things. So first I want mm-hmm. to ask you, how good does it feel to actually be out and about and touch the people? Also, when people bring you, I guess, uh, say, uh, the classic uh, Cake Mix Doctor book, and it's all tattered and, and, and battered, splattered, and, uh, you know, obviously been used, how does it, how does that make you feel knowing that, you know, you – Put a little bit of uh, a joy into these people's lives with your cookbook. That's great. Those are great questions. I'll answer the latter first. It's awesome. I feel like I just want to give them a big old hug because that's how my cake mix doctor looks. I mean, the pages have fallen out. Um, I, I love to see a cookbook that's been used. And uh, and in fact, if anybody's listening and, and you want to bring your cake mix doctor book with you to the signings in Jackson and in, in uh, Greenwood. Please do. I'd love to see it. And I'd love to know what recipes, you know, you've been making through the years. As far as being virtual, you know, it's it's been interesting uh, for sure. But nothing beats in-store signings. And, I, you know, when we planned, when I planned this little tour back in August, we didn't even know if it was going to be possible. But I will tell you, I put Miss, Mississippi down first because I feel like, you know, it, it was never on the way to Atlanta. It was never on the way to North Carolina, you know. But but I, I just felt like it was the right place to go. And, I, and I'm so happy to finally be doing it. And it'll be great to be in store. And, you know, and I'm visiting some stores and they've got, you know, regulations, no food, no drinks. You know, I, the one in Nashville is, you know, reservations only, only 50 people are allowed. So, you know, I'm I'm prepared to, you know, follow the rules, but now, it'll be great to see everybody. Do I understand correctly that there will be food at the Lemuria book signing? I am planning on there being food at Good. Lemuria and also Turn Road, yes. I told this one particular store which is Meyer Independent here in Nashville that uh, that this will be the first time in 20 years if, if this is true that there is no food allowed on Wednesday uh, that it'll be the first time in 20 years that I've had a book signing where there hasn't been something to eat hmm. so wow. yeah well, we're, so, we're looking think, forward to eating <laughs> Carol and I will yeah and, and so glad you're coming to Mississippi because we have not only a wonderful tradition of writers and mm-hmm. you know great writing but our independent bookstores are second to none i mean we we have a wealth of independent bookstores it's awesome yes you so, all are geniuses yeah. so since it is thanksgiving week uh, can we quickly talk about what is on your thanksgiving table or what will be on your thanksgiving table <laughs> particularly we're interested in the desserts Interesting. Well, I'll give you the whole menu because I was just going over it with my sister, and it's too much food. It's always too much food. Uh, we've got ol- cheese olivettes, which are cheese uh, cheese pastry wrapped around olives. We've got um, Kara's cocktail shrimp. Then we're going to move into two turkeys. I'm roasting one in my mother's aluminum roaster with a dressing, cornbread <laughs> dressing. Um, that and then my son is going to smoke a turkey outside. So we have two turkeys. Then we've got gravy. My daughter is married a guy from South Carolina. They love their mashed potatoes and mac and cheese on Thanksgiving, which was not what I grew up with. She's doing the mac and cheese and, and mashed potatoes. My other sister is making the green beans. 
We'll make a beautiful salad. I, we st I started making it with ma mango and sliced avocado and sliced mm. uh, red grapefruit. And it's kind of like a sound like a poppy seed dressing, but, but without the poppy seeds. It's just fresh. Then, of course, we have cranberries and all that. Hot uh, rolls, icebox rolls. That was my mother's recipe. And then for dessert, you know, pecan pie. That's our favorite here. Mm. We just, I can't get my kids to eat pumpkin pie. I'm going to make a pumpkin roulade, which is going to be like a pumpkin cake. And I'm going to fill it with, um, either going to be frozen or refrigerated. And my husband wants mincemeat pie, which we all can't stand. So he's making his own. And he does scalloped oysters. So, you know, I said this was the Thanksgiving that everybody can have what they want. So there you go. That's and I think that's a special part of Thanksgiving, too, to have have your dream foods on Thanksgiving. <laughs> that's right. Well, Ann, thanks for joining us, and we will see you Thursday at Lemuria. Uh, that is Thursday, November the 18th at 5 p.m. right here in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, So looking forward. We're looking forward to meeting you in person, uh, eating some of your sweets, and uh, having a great conversation around the new book, uh, and, and all of your body of work. And, and I want to talk about Julia Child. And there's a new uh, documentary out about Julia, and I know you've, in your life, you've worked with her or, or have come in contact with her, so I want to hear about that. Definitely will. We can talk about that. And also, I wrote the book American Cake. So if people, you know, have that book, and there are some cakes in that book from Mississippi, so we can talk about that as well. Great. Well, we'll see you Thursday. And then for the folks in Greenwood and the Delta, she Ann will be there on Friday at noon at Turn Road. Glad you're coming to Mississippi. And thanks for joining us this morning. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from folks just like you. And we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. For our special guest, Ann Byrne, my co-host, Carol Puckett, I'm Malcolm White. Please stay tuned now for Marshall Ramsey's show, Now You're Talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11 a.m. And please join us next Monday right here for more Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio.